you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. We just finished up a series. And oftentimes in between, I just pick up and, and look at a different text that has interested my heart. And I want to speak to you this t- uh, today on the subject of the marriage supper of the Lamb. A key part to the book of Revelation and the ending of all things. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19. And we'll pick up reading in verse number 7. We'll read down through verse number 9. Verse number 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And again, I want to speak to you on the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I want you to cast your eyes this morning far beyond the day of trouble and health concerns and these bodies deteriorating and economies going up to the up and down. I want to thrust your eyes towards the day in which we see our Savior face to face. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our Lord Jesus. God, as we look at these pages, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would come and that He would speak to our hearts more than the more than the preacher can teach, more than anything that I could say, Holy Spirit, come and teach our hearts and cast our gaze upon the loveliness of the Lord Jesus. And may we see Him afresh and anew. May our hearts long for this day in which we will see You face to face and be forever united with You at this marriage of the Lamb and the supper to follow. Father, we pray you'd convict hearts that don't know the Lord Jesus. There may be those that sit among us and they, are, they, they have an uncertain future. They don't know that this is their reality to come. Father, we pray you'd show them the loveliness of the Lamb of God and they would come and receive Him. But Father, I pray you'd stoke our hearts to hope and to love of our Lord Jesus. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Ah. Uh, over the past few weeks, I, I went to a, a wedding vow renewal and, and last Sunday, and then last, yes, yesterday, went to a wedding, a, full, a full-fledged wedding. And so, wedding is, is just in the atmosphere, evidently. And so, my heart has been kind of turned to that subject about weddings. Yesterday's wedding was a little unusual in the fact that I heard a song I haven't heard in a long time when the bride came down the aisle. It's been a long time since I've heard a bride come down the aisle to the traditional song of the wedding march. You know that one I'm talking about. Dun, 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 dun. You know that, that song that goes like that? I, I tell you what, I, it's been a long time uh, since I've been to a wedding where I've actually heard that song. You know, most of those weddings, especially of a bygone day, they came down uh, to that particular song called the wedding march. It's by Richard Wagner. But a musicologist named Maurice Zam said that the wedding march that is played traditionally 
in, in many weddings today has been so distorted that Richard Wagner, who was the one that wrote it, would hardly even recognize it. Uh, the march comes from Wagner's uh, a symphony called Lehengrin, and the tempo in the musical score reads this way. This is the way he wanted this, passage, this uh, portion of the song to be played. It is to be played to the, uh, to the tempo of Adante Canmato, which is, which is music language for this. The phrase means faster than a walk, okay? So it's supposed to be kind of an up-tempo. Very different from what we hear today. A musicologist says that, uh, that this is supposed to be played with a joyful rhythmic swing down the aisle. And Zam said that it's played so slowly today that, it's, that even an acrobat could hardly keep its balance as they make their way uh, in, the, in the promenade down the aisle. It's, it's better keyed for a murderer's walk at the last mile towards his execution than it is towards the marriage altar. Uh, but, but Richard Wagner intended for this song to be quickly down, or at, a, at least a fast pace down the aisle. Zam goes on to say that, that the tempo Adante Canmato basically means let's speed this thing up and get on to the main business of a happy honeymoon. I like the way he put that. You know, there's something about a wedding that is stoked with anticipation. It is, it is, a, it is, a, is a day in which this married couple begins a life anew. And there's all kinds of anticipation surrounding the wedding ceremony. You know, this is the, this is the pinnacle of every little girl's dream to be married. It is the, it is the, uh, the dream of every love-smitten young man to come down the marriage aisle and to unite with this one person for the rest of their lives. Oh man, don't get me started about my wedding day. I'll never forget October the 24th, 1998. I remember getting gas at the gas station down here near Sligo and, and putting gas in that car thinking that morning, thinking I'm gassing up the car so we can go on our honeymoon. So we can, I mean, this is the first day of the rest of my life. It was a beautiful day. And, and, and I, during that day, I just realized what a wonderful day it was, the day I married my bride. And I'm sure many of you could say the same thing. It is, it is this emotion, I, I believe, of anticipation that is magnified when we come to Revelation 19. God has painted the picture of the eternal uniting of Jesus Christ with His bride, the church, as a marriage and a marriage feast. You know, a marriage, uh, it is a marriage that outshines Every other marriage in human history, a wedding celebration feast that far supersedes every joyful occasion in the history of time. In beautiful brevity, just three little verses, God pulls back the curtain of time and shows us this heavenly wedding scene with all of the heart-drawing anticipation that is there. Listen, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
You have embraced Him as your sacrifice for sin on the cross of Calvary. Then I want you to understand that. That we indeed will be participants in this extremely joyous occasion. Hey, if you're saved by God's grace, then Revelation 19, 8 through 10, you're a part of that. You're going to be there. We look upon the pages of prophecy and see ourselves there. And so every one of us here today, I want us to better envision this spectacular event, this happiest of all moments, the marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I want us to do that by performing four actions. Four simple actions, I think, can give us insight into this day. So the first thing I want you to see is we must recognize the ceremony portrayed. You know, when God wanted to portray the joining together of His redeemed people and His Son, the Lord Jesus, He did it in a very specific way. Now, He didn't do it as the uniting of a kingdom and a king. You know, God could have easily portrayed this uniting of a kingdom and a king as, as like a coronation of a king. A, a king. a king that sits on his throne. And, and God could have pictured the relationship between Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, and to that of a king and a nation. But that's not how He did it. You know, God could have displayed this as the, the scene of a, of a president who is sworn into office to lead a people. He could have done it as, as a relationship between a president and citizens. But God didn't do it that way. No, God used the love relationship picture of a wedding to display the uniting of Jesus Christ the Savior, the Redeemer of all men, and His bride, the church. You know, in doing so, He gives us insight into the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church. And I believe that we can see that in the context of Hebrew life. In, in a marriage of a of, 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 of traditionally what is seen in the Hebrew people. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. First of all, when we think about a marriage in the Hebrew custom of the time, I want us to think about a sacred betrothal. Now, the marriage process in Bible times was somewhat of a long, drawn-out process. When a man found a prospective bride, he would approach the father and discuss arrangements to wed the daughter. So, in this conversation, they will work out what is known as a bride price. That, that the, that the, of course, the, the father of the bride or the prospective bride will, will have lost a beautiful a, a daughter, a beautiful daughter, someone that was a part of his family, someone that played a role in the economy of that family, no doubt that it, by leaving that family, she would be missed and there would th be things that, uh, that the, the family would miss out on. So there would be traditionally an exchange of money. The, the groom would talk to the, 
uh, to the prospective groom would talk to the father and work out a bride price. What he would pay for having this daughter as his bride. So, when the bride price uh, would be worked out, then normally this bride price, when the groom eventually would come and pay that bride price, the father would take that bride price and give it to the bride as a dowry. Do you know what a dowry is? I did some research on this recently and I've thrown the word around for years. But a dowry was something given not to the husband but to the bride as she goes into marriage in case something happened to her husband. Let's say her husband was suddenly killed and there all of a sudden there is this bride that is on her own. Maybe she's got two little kids and, and, and now she doesn't have the breadwinner. She doesn't have the husband. That dowry would be used to provide for her in the event that she lost her husband. Also, that dowry, remember when we were talking about in Luke 15 and the lost coin, how that that dowry was oftentimes worn as somewhat of a wedding ring, a head, gar head, a head display or a, a, a forehead display on the married woman showing that she had been married. So that dowry price would be worked out and, and traditionally it would be given to the daughter when she is married as a dowry. But once the price would, agree, would be agreed upon, then the two would be considered as betrothed. How many of you heard that word betrothed before? You know, oftentimes we easily just substitute betrothal for engagement in our, in our context. We might get all fancy and say, well, they're betrothed. Well, that's not exactly... Engagement and betrothal are not exactly the, the same thing because the uh, betrothal is a promise by the groom to marry the bride and could not be easily broken. As a matter of fact, betrothal, if either the bride or the groom decides to, uh, to uh, break off the betrothal, then there actually had to be a writ of divorce. It was actually, they, they weren't even married yet, but the betrothal was such a strong commitment that there would have to be a divorce drawn up to separate the two so it was binding you know not like today you know today if if a, a, a prospective groom and, and prospective bride were uh, were engaged and and they had a spat and they didn't want to you know they, they didn't like each other anymore they got in a spat and they just she took the ring and threw it down and and uh, they just parted ways well that, that may be how it happens in our culture today and he go pawns a ring and goes by his fishing pole and, and fishes to recover from you know I, I don't know that may well be what happens in this day and time, but back then that's not what happened. There was a very binding type thing uh, going on between the prospective groom and the prospective bride. You know, this is very much, listen to me, this is very much the state of a believer in Christ Jesus. If you're saved today, you are betrothed to the Lord Jesus. You've not experienced the relationship yet of marriage to Christ, but you are betrothed. He has given His promise. He has given His promise to come and to get you again. And one day you can be with Him. You are betrothed. Paul said as much in 2 Corinthians eleven twelve. Listen to what he said. I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste 
virgin to Christ. There Paul, he gives this espousal, this betrothal uh, a language in his description of a church. And that's, what he, that's how he felt over a certain church, the Corinthian church. He had espoused them to Christ. They, through their belief upon the Lord Jesus, the gospel that he had preached unto them, that they had been espoused to the Lord Jesus. Jesus has given his promise in the gospel uh, that we are His and He is ours and that is not to be broken. Don't you, aren't you glad that my relationship with Jesus is not an engagement but it's a betrothal? He's not going to break that promise. He's going to keep His promise that He has promised us eternal life. He has placed us in His hands and His hand is in the Father's hand and no man can pluck us out of the hand of the Father. We are betrothed unto Him. Second of all, not only a sacred betrothal, but we see a specific removal. A specific removal. Once betrothed, the groom would then leave the bride for at least one year. He would leave and go away. So he would say, honey, we're betrothed. Now I'm going to separate myself. I've got to go get some things. He's got to earn the bride price. No doubt he didn't have all that in his pocket when he went up to the father. He just wanted to know how much it was. So now he's got a full year or longer to go out and try to put together the bride price. The bride would be known as a purchased one. One that is set aside. She's she's off the market, guys. She's, She's no longer available for any other suitors to come around. She's betrothed. No one... No one can proposition. No one can come and try to steal her away. No, she's betrothed to him. And so she set aside awaiting the groom. The groom would be gone, like I said, to pay, uh, to collect up the bride price to pay to the father. We see this in the book of Judges. If you'll go into the Old Testament book of Judges, when Othniel, he he loved his, his distant cousin, uh, and he wanted to marry her, and so the Canaanites, uh, he, he was sent out, uh, her, her, her father, Caleb, said, anybody that takes these Canaanites can have my daughter to marriage, and so Othniel goes up, and he gets his sword out, and they go to battling and fighting, and Othniel wins the battle, and he goes back, and he, he presents the victory uh, to Caleb, and Caleb said, here's my daughter that he's all, oh, it's a beautiful story. i got a message on that. I'd love to preach it, but I'm not going to do it right now. But it's a beautiful story of someone paying that bride price. Or Jacob. You remember Jacob? How that Jacob went uh, to his cousin Laban, and he saw Rachel, you remember that? And how that he loved Rachel, and Laban said, well, you'll have to work for me seven years. What in one year? It was seven years he worked for her, and then Laban, he pulled a fast one on Jacob. Jacob deserved it anyway. He pulled a fast one on his brother, didn't he? He deserved, well, he had a fast one pulled up on him, and he ended up marrying Leah. And then he had to turn around and work seven more years for Rachel to have her. You see, there's the picture of that bride price, that, that going away and, and, and putting together the price uh, for the bride. Jesus paid our ransom price in His own blood on the tree. He made the promise to us to all who believe He would give eternal life and in doing so then He laid His life down and paid the price of our sin. The, The book of Ephesians paints the picture of this in the marriage relationships. Husband, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There is Jesus. Jesus giving his life for the bride, the church. Then the groom, the groom also, 
as he went away, not only would he work to put together the bride price, can you see him working overtime, working on the week, well not the weekend, but maybe working, working different times, you know, trying to make it, trying to pinch pennies and put together that bride price. But at the same time, he had to create a place for them to begin life together. Part of this, a separation is for him to put together some kind of domicile, some place where they can live their married life together. What did Jesus say in John 14, 23? In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be. What a picture. I mean, it just fits perfectly with what's going on with us right now with Jesus Christ. If you're saved by God's grace, guess what Jesus is doing? He's preparing us a mansion. It's been 2,000 years, man. It must be one more of a place. He's preparing a mansion, a place for us to spend all eternity with Jesus. Can't you see the picture here? Notice also, we see not only a sacred betrothal, a specific removal, also a sudden arrival. The wedding day was not particularly known by the bride. This would drive a lot of our modern, modern brides crazy, wouldn't it? I mean, what if, what if you didn't know? What if you, what if you were about to get married? But it would be in about a year, but you didn't know exactly when the wedding would be. Oh my goodness, how could you plan for the caterer and the flowers? And, and, and how, could you, how could you pay for the venue now? It's, it's got to be having, be in a specific venue. How, how are you going to get all this stuff together before uh, the, the, the groom comes and before the marriage happens? She would know that it would be somewhere around a year or so. And as that year began to draw close, you know, at the beginning when he left, I'm sure there was a lot of sorrow, a lot of days in which, good night, it just seemed so far away. And as she continued her life, laboring, you know, for the family with her father in anticipation, maybe she lays down every night and she thinks about him coming, oh, but it's so far away. But then after, you know how time flies. You know how, how it just goes by so fast and the months go by until finally, oh man, it's just, it's 11 months since he left. It's, it's nearly, it's 11 and a half months since he left. He could be coming at any moment. There is an anticipation as we see him, as we see the time go by, an anticipation. Then at some known hour, there would be a shout from the outside of town, the bridegroom has come. The bridegroom has come. And the, all the town would be talking about, oh, so-and-so's bridegroom, he's just arrived into the town. The bride would be carried away suddenly uh, to their new home there would be a, where there would be a marriage and a feast put on for several days. Doesn't that sound like our position in the Christ Jesus where we are right now? Oh, it's been some 2,000, nearly 2,000 years and since He rose from that grave and ascended to the Father, those disciples watching us carried up into the heavens. Oh, it's been so long, but now we see the days approaching and, and the, just like the Scriptures, I mean, we're seeing it portrayed right before our eyes and any day now He could come. Jesus is coming again. Our beloved, our bridegroom is approaching every day. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 reminds us, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven 
with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Do you see the picture of a marriage, a, a Hebrew first century marriage? Do you see that picture that's being played out for us even now in light of Revelation 19 and the marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb? It is being played out as we speak. So we must first recognize the ceremony portrayed. Second of all, we must visualize the Savior presented. Look with me at verse 7 in Revelation 19. He said, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife hath made herself ready. You know, in weddings today, much attention and much emphasis is placed on the bride. The bride is the focus of the attention. Everybody wonders, all of her friends are, where are you going to get your dress, you know? Are you going to get it? Is, they, they're pulling out all the dress. Who cares about the tuxedo the groom's going to wear? Everybody wants to see the dress. How beautiful. Where are you going to get your flowers? Oh my goodness, this florist has the best arrangers. Where is the venue going to be? What veil is she going to wear? What will she look like? Who's going to do her hair? Is she going to get pearls in the hair? You know, uh, what? Everything is on the bride. Nobody cares about the groom. He just shows up. You know, he's just there. You know, in a plain Jane tuxedo, he just shows up. And so not a lot of attention is given to the groom. But in ancient weddings, it is the groom that gets all the attention. It's just the opposite in ancient weddings. And that is the case with this marriage. It is the Savior. It is the Lord Jesus. It is the Lamb of God that gets all the attention. And notice we see the recognition of the groom. Of the groom. In verse number 7, he said, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Notice that this is the marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb here recognize, recognizes the Lamb is the groom, so to speak. He's the one that is the being married here. Now, the question is, who is the Lamb? This is code language. Who's the Lamb? It doesn't, say, it doesn't tell us. Who is the Lamb? Who is the Lamb in the book of Revelation? Well, I like what Dr. H.L. Wilmington said in one of his books. Dr. H.L. Wilmington, he used to teach at Liberty University years ago. Prolific writer and author of Christian books and everything. And H.L. Wilmington said, if the Bible could be summed up in three statements, it would be, the Bible could be summed up in three statements. The first statement is this. It goes all the way back to Genesis 27, 7. Do you remember where uh, 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 Abraham asked his father, excuse me, uh, Isaac asked his father, yeah, Isaac asked his father, Abraham, they were going up to Mount Moriah. 
He put all, he left the donkey behind. He put all the wood on, on Isaac's back and they're making their way up Mount Moriah to make a sacrifice. And then Isaac looks around. He doesn't see a sacrifice. He doesn't see anything that they can put on the altar because he didn't know he was the one going to be put on the altar. But he asks his father a question. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? Then the next question, if we could sum up the Old Testament, it would be, where is the lamb? Next we go to the, uh, the, the New Testament. The second question or the second statement that could sum up the Bible, it comes from the muddy banks of the Jordan River where the forerunner, that wild-eyed preacher uh, who's uh, eating locusts and wild honey uh, comes out. He's down by the Jordan River. He's baptizing. He lifts his eyes and sees his cousin and says of this Jesus of Nazareth, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Here's the second statement. First statement, where is the Lamb? Second statement, behold the Lamb. Third statement that could sum up the Bible comes from Revelation 5.12 where we look upon and hear the distant echoes of a multitude of 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands from every tribe and tongue and kindred and nation resounding with one voice stating this, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. It is none other. This marriage, this Lamb of God, it is all about Jesus. It is about the same one that John pointed out at the Jordan River. It's the same one that was buried and rose again from the grave, ascended to the Father. Jesus is the Lamb. He is the one slain for us. Jesus is the crowning jewel of this astounding event. The recognition of the groom. Then I want you to see the resplendence of the groom. Notice in in verse number 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife hath made herself ready. So there's something to this about arriving at a point of readiness. Or preparation. Specifically it talks about the bride. We're going to talk about the bride here in a minute. My next point. But I do want you to know that the groom himself has come to a point of readiness for this marriage in the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, when I was choosing my tux for my wedding back in 1998, I was heavily influenced by... Garth Brooks' album, The Chase. Do you remember the, some of you may remember The Chase, and he had that, he had that cool shirt that had that little collar, and he had, a, had a, like, a, like a little clasp right here, and it was black and white. Anyway, whatever. Uh, it, it, I love that shirt, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to wear a bow tie like every other, every other groom. No, 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 no. I'm going to look different. I'm going to look cool like Garth Brooks. And so I'm going to get me one that has like this onyx uh, uh, kind of fastener right here. Oh, it's going to look so cool. I'm going to look like Garth Brooks. Uh, Listen, it was the biggest mistake I made in the wedding because I do not look like Garth Brooks. I look like a doofus with a dot under his chin where a bow tie should be. And you grooms, you listen to that. Don't, Don't get all crazy at your wedding. Go ahead and wear the bow tie. I promise you, I promise you, it'll be great. But I look like a doofus in that. I looked awful. But I was very, I was very uh, concerned about how I looked at the wedding. I wanted to stand out. 
I want it to look good. You know, all the attention going to her dress. Well, hey, I want some attention too. I want to look good too. I want everybody to say, ooh, look, don't you look good down there? And, and, I, and I failed miserably. Now, the question is, what will Jesus wear on his wedding day? You ever thought about that? What will Jesus wear on his wedding day? You know, there's a few things we could speculate about him. And number one, he, he could wear a king's suit, you know. You've seen pictures of kings, right? He could come down with that military garb, you know, the clasps all the way down, the fringes on the shoulder covered over by a long scarlet robe. You know that fur? I don't know what kind of fur it is, but it's got black dots on it. You know, that fur on the fringe like this and around the collar. He could come down with a scepter in his hand. He could look like a king. Oh, what a magnificent king Jesus is. And he is king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus could well wear a kingly garment. But at the same time, he could wear his lion suit. The Bible talks in the Revelation 5.5 that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He could come in a lion's skin with some kind of headdress portraying himself as the mighty one, the devourer of of the nations, the mighty and strong one, the lion of the tribe of Judah who is undefeated whose roar should be cause the nations to cower before him, he could come in a mighty lion suit. But I, I don't think that's what he'll wear. Look at me at Revelation chapter number 19 and verse number 7. Be glad and rejoice and give honor to, uh, to him for the marriage of the what? The lamb is come. If Jesus will wear anything in that day, He will wear His Lamb's suit. When we look upon Him, when we see Him in that Lamb's suit, He will take our breath away. Because that Lamb's suit will remind us that it was in the garden that He prayed, not my will but thine. It was that Lamb's suit that will remind us that He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. What did it say in Revelation 5 when John was sorrowing that there was no one to open the seal and to take the book? John's eyes were pointing to the one, that Lamb that stands there as it was slain, who is worthy to take the book. He's the one that will be there. He will be dressed so we can readily identify Him as our Savior, the one who cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? It will be His lamb suit that will remind us that He was raised living and forevermore from the grave itself when we see Jesus. We will be overcome with the fact that He shed His blood to pay our ransom's debt. We will see the wounds in His hands and His feet. We will see the thorn-pierced brow as the, say, as the Passover Savior that was slain for us and the, for the death that we deserve. Our eyes will be thrilled and our hearts will melt as we see the Jesus that was the Lamb of God to take away our sins. When He comes to that wedding, everything about Him will remind us of the great price Jesus paid for us. Because that's what endears us to Him. Peter said it himself, Unto you therefore that believe, He is 
precious. Believe what? Believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that He was buried in the tomb, and that He was raised on the third day. Oh, how we love Him, for He first loved us and gave Himself for us. Jesus will come in recognition of Him. When we see Him, we will see Him as that Lamb that was slain for us. Thirdly, recognize the ceremony portrayed. Visualize the, uh, the Savior presented. Thirdly, epitomize the saint's preparation. Verse number 7 also says that his wife, the bride, hath made herself ready. It seems in these days that the groom is hardly involved with the wedding at all. You ever, you ever realize that? That when it comes to weddings, you know, we just went through that vow renewal. And I'm telling you what. My daughter has been working on this project. I can't, I, I, how many months, Carrie? Nine months, close to a year. She's been, she collected every little bobble that's going to sit on a table, every little, every little sage grass. I don't know what kind. She got grass. Every, just, and she had all kinds. I mean, she collected and shopped and, did everything. I, to be honest with you, I'm glad Garrett's not here. I, I don't know much about what Garrett did at all other than show up. <laughs> he, had, he had a time and a place and a suit size. That's about all he did in the thing. And so more or less, he's just going, the groom nowadays just shows up. And all the work particularly is done by the bride. But it seems the bride is especially in charge of all the arrangements and all the preparations that are to be made. We see that kind of reflected in this scene. Notice the bride's arrival. And it says that uh, the wife hath made herself ready. All of a sudden, she's with them. We know, we know that this Revelation 19 is a heavenly scene. This is in heaven. The bride has made her way into the heavens. As I showed you earlier in this passage the bride is the church of Jesus Christ those that have obeyed the gospel those that have believed upon him in repentance and faith the bride is waited you remember the story how the bride waits she waits so long for this day have you ever noticed how an engaged bride to be can't sit still she's always thinking about well, did I get the did I get the cake is the cake is the thing on time did we get the flowers did we get you know, she's always busy and, and and always concerned with what's going on in, in the wedding and all the plans there's always something to do there's always something to arrange there uh, they more than likely have a pocket calendar and they're mocking down the days to the wedding day yeah, they'll probably they pro nowadays they probably have an app on their phone every time they pull the phone out they know how many days until the wedding I, I don't know uh, but but they're counting down the days until that wedding happens our text is a reflection of that hour all the waiting is past the shout has rang out the the clock has started on this wedding event the church has been 
whisked away. I tell you, that is a day that is fast approaching us. Jesus is coming again and He will, according to the Scriptures, re- receive His bride, catch His bride away. Oh, there are different timings involved, but one thing is clear. Jesus is going to snatch the church out of this place to be with Him in the heavens. Jesus is coming again. One day we'll make our arrival in heaven ready for this marriage. But notice also, we see the bride's apparel. Look with me as John puts particular attention on the bride's apparel. Verse number 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now, there's some dispute in the Bible when we come to this point. The wording in verse number 8 indicates that there is a righteousness that is given to the saints. Now, our question today and what much debate about is where, what kind of righteousness is this? There is a righteousness that is imputed to us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus has given us. Uh, the uh, Corinthians uh, expresses this specifically. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Romans 3.23 speaks of the righteousness in Jesus. E, Romans 3.22 uh, Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of the Lord Jesus unto all and upon them that believe. For there is no difference. Listen to me. There is a righteousness that is given to us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have no righteousness. We have no argument to come into the presence of God without the righteousness of Jesus. And so Jesus, He gives us this righteousness. He he places it upon us. But... In Revelation 3-4, remember we talked about this back in when we went through the seven churches. In Revelation 3-4, the church at Sardis is said to have not defiled their garment. There's an indication that as opposed to other churches, Sardis kept their garments clean. Now that is an active aspect of righteousness or or at least appearance in that passage of Scripture. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Paul makes it clear. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Well, my goodness, Paul. He's putting all that in your hands. Doesn't it sound that way? That we are to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness. He is is pointing to us. So which is it? There is a righteousness that is given to us in Christ. There is a righteousness that we live out. That we protect. Which is it? I like what W.A. Criswell, he is the famed pastor First Baptist Church of Dallas years ago. Great preacher. But listen to what he says in commenting and preaching on this passage. He says this. The dress of the times, going back to that first century, the dress of the times was to wear an inner garment and an outer garment. There is an inner garment of justification by faith, which is the gift of God. 
There is also an outer garment of our obedience to the mandates and the commandments of our Lord. There is an inner garment of imputation. The righteousness that comes to a child of God by faith. There is also an outer garment. The deeds by which we have sought to adorn the doctrine and to glorify the name of our Savior. The inner garment speaks of something that Christ bestows upon us when He washes away our sins, when we, when we wash our robes, our souls, and make them white in the blood of the Lamb, there is also an outer garment that we shall wear, which is woven of our own hands and is made of all the things we have sought to do and did pray to do for our blessed Jesus. That's an interesting aspect. of Where, where we see both in the Scriptures, we see an imputed righteousness. We see a obedience righteousness. Both of them are in the Scriptures. Now don't get me wrong. We are saved by grace. Amen. Everybody say amen. Saved by the grace of God. But let's not stop there. We are saved by grace unto good works. We are, as Philippians says, to work out our own salvation. Not just to hold it like a knick-knack on the shelf, but to work it out. To put it in shoe leather. To live it out in our lives. Those righteousnesses of the saints are simply God by the Holy Spirit working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's Philippians 2 and verse number 13. Our works righteousness that we do as servants of our Savior and of our God is that good pleasure of God. God working in us to do, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Now, I want you to think back with me. Think back to the illustration of a modern bride. When the bride is to be married, she prepares for it, right? She she goes, to, she goes to the bridal shop and she looks at all the, makes a special trip down there. She's on the phone with the caterer. She's talking about the cake maker. She's going and visiting venues and visiting where does she want that wedding to happen. She's actively doing these things. She also watches her figure. <laughs> Doesn't she? She don't go to Taco Bell as much as she used to. You know, I gotta get, we, got, we just got a year. I just got nine months. I, you know, I, I want to look my best. So she's not eating tacos. Uh, she's eating salads, you know. She's, she's going out running every day, and she's, she's getting ready. Uh, she has her skin treated. She starts get, taking, uh, uh, taking baths in, in uh, uh, shea butter, you know, rubbing that shea butter all over, you know, to get real nice soft skin. Uh, she gets her hair done. She wants to grow hair. She gets to go to the thing, and it gets all the, all the, the you know, the little streaks in her hair, and she gets that, that, oh, that beautiful, that beautiful blonde streak or, or gets that little red streak, whatever she does. She, she works on her hair. Uh, she gets a tan. She either goes to the tanning bed and does the fake and bake, you know, put the things on her eyes and they sit in that little, that little closet with the light bulbs in it and, they, and she gets all kinds of tan. Or she goes to the beach and she lays down all the time. She gets all good and tan. She wants to look really nice. Uh, she prepares her gown. She spiffs and she spruces. Why? She's a bride. She's getting ready to be wed. Now, I want you to think about this. Think about the friend, the, the bride's friend. She's not getting married. She's a couch potato for the next, the next nine months. 
She doesn't care about the details. The wedding is just a date on her calendar. And when it gets here, well, she just throws some frumpy thing on and roll her eyes and say, oh, those two lovebirds make me sick, but I'll go. I'll, 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 you know, I'll clap for them. But I, I'm not doing. I'm not going out of my way. You know, I, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to eat some cake and I'm going to blow that joint. I, I'm not. I'm not. She's not getting ready. She's not being prepared. Why? Because she's not getting married. Listen to me. Brides make themselves ready for the bridegroom. People that are not the bride don't get ready. Don't get ready for a wedding that's not theirs. Are you listening to me, church? The church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, is going to be concerned about their preparation for that great wedding day when they meet their Savior in the air. They're preparing. They're getting up and reading their Bible. They're praying. They're seeking to do good works. They love their Savior. They worship Him. They adore Him. They try to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever they are. They'll tell people all about Him. But somebody that's not getting ready for a wedding doesn't do that kind of thing. I asked you, how your garments look? How your garments look? Are you getting ready for a wedding? Are you concerned at all about what this Bible says about who you're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be? I'm not talking about a work salvation. I'm talking about a salvation that works, that is lived out in our lives. What Good is it to be a bride and not prepare for the wedding day. It's a disaster. Are you allowing God to work through you to do His good pleasure? Recognize the ceremony portrayed. Visualize the Savior presented. Epitomize the saints' preparation. Finally, theorize the supper place. Verse number 9, He said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, Right, these are the true sayings of God. We are told relatively nothing about the wedding. <laughs> it seems as though God has just kind of closed the curtain on the wedding. Boy, wouldn't you like to... Wouldn't you, give me details, God. Give me details, you know. I'd love to know what was happening at the wedding. But all, no doubt the Father... Uh, united the lamb and the bride together in matrimony with all the solemnity and celestial beauty that cannot possibly be imagined. Then it's off to the wedding feast and the wedding supper of the lamb. Down through the years, I, have you ever heard preachers speculate about what they're going to be eating at the marriage supper of the lamb? A lot of preachers, I think a lot, they have this thing about food. They love to talk about food. That, that just gets them going. You know, you ever heard preachers talk about food a lot? You know, I, I've heard them say, Boy, I bet you what, we go to that marriage supper of the Lamb, they're going to have cat head biscuits this big at the table, you know, and they're going to have the best nana pudding you ever put in your mouth. I don't know about all that. That's a lot of, that's a lot of preacher talk right there, but I do know this, is that we will be at a marriage supper, but it will not matter what they put on the table. You know why? Because he'll be there. My Savior will be there. They might put asparagus and okra on there. And that might be the most gaggy thing I've ever known in my life. But it won't matter. Why? I'll be with Him. Isn't that right? You know, I have no idea, baby, what we had to eat. Probably barbecue. It's the cheap stuff, I guess. I don't know. But I do know this. I was there 
with you. It won't matter. It won't matter what they put on the table because we'll be there with them. The Lamb is there. He'll be there. Uh, We won't matter. We will be with Jesus. He will keep His pledge. And for the first time since that upper room, His cup will be lifted up to drink and He will drink with us His new bride. Remember what he, He told the disciples in that upper room? He said, I will not drink of this cup hereafter until I drink it with you in that kingdom. Here's where that happened. Here's where that happened. He takes the cup and drinks with His bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will sit at His table. And as the book of Revelation or other passages of Scripture tell us, He will serve us at that marriage feast. What glory. It's so hard to imagine how wonderful that day will be. But I want to put it in your heart so that your heart might burn for that day when we are with our Savior forever and ever and ever. There is an old hymn that is seldom ever, I've never heard it sung, but it talks about this marriage feast and in, in, in this passage of Scripture. I'd like to read that. I love poetry. Listen to what it says. There will be prudent prophets all, and the apostles six and six, the glorious martyrs in a row, and confessors in betwixt. And though the glory of each one doth differ in degree, yes, it is the joy of all alike, and common certainly. There David stands with harp in hand as master of the choir, a thousand times that men were blessed that may his his music hear. There Mary sings magnificent with tunes surpassing sweet, And all the maidens bear their part, singing at His feet. Mary Magdalene hath left her tears and cheerfully doth sing with all those saints whose harmony through every street doth ring. And in that holy company, may you and I find place through worth of Him that died for us and through His glorious grace with cherubim and seraphim and hosts of ransomed men to sing the praises to the Lamb and add our glad Amen. (laughs) One day, one day we will collectively as the bride of Jesus Christ sit at this table and enjoy and bask in the view of our Savior, our beloved, our bridegroom. My question to you today Will you be there? Will you come with us? If you're here today and don't know the Lord Jesus, the gates of grace are open wide to all who will come and believe. Turn from living life of sin and self. Place your trust in Jesus Christ. Come and drink of the water of life freely as Revelation 21 tells us. Come, the Spirit and the Bride say come. Come to the Lamb today. Let Him bestow upon you that promise that promise of the bridegroom to return and claim you as His own. If you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus, church, oh, we are fast approaching. The time is coming. How is your dress coming together? How are your garments? Let us make ourselves ready 
Let us be about the Master's business. Let us go into the highways and hedges. Let us live out and be the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus. For one day, we will be with Him. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you in Christ's stead to be reconciled to Him. Come and believe upon the Lord Jesus. Put your faith and trust in Him. You can do that at this altar or right there at your seat. Just bow your head and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And today I put my faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection as it is the ransom price and the guarantee of eternal life. And I take you as my Lord and Savior. Come to Jesus today. If you're here and you know the Lord Jesus, and truth be known, you look more, you, you feel more like the frumpy friend of the bride than the bride herself. Listen. Let us get together. Let us put our act together. Let's be ready. Making our, making our garments ready for that day when our Lord and Savior comes again. You respond as God dealt with your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I pray you'd speak to hearts. Glorify yourself in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.